Hey friends, you're listening to Changing the Conversation, a podcast by African Leadership and the Mocha Club, where we take time to sit down and explore topics to challenge our perspective in pursuit of better loving people and the world around us. Happy Friday! Oh, I know. I love Friday. We made it. Why does it always feel that way about a Friday? I don't know. We made it. We made what are you it. doing this weekend? Um, so I turn 30 next Monday. You do, and we are throwing the party of your life. <laughs> I wish that was true. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna work really hard to throw you something. It's okay. So all that to say this weekend mm-hmm. I'm celebrating, which you will love this being a co baseball fan. Um, so tomorrow gonna do a little pool party with some friends. Yes. And then at two PM sharp, I'm making everyone play a pickup game of baseball. <gasps> So fun. Uniforms included. Oh like, my I'm gosh. Where are my you doing get that? really into it. A friend who lives in Brentwood has a pool and then has like a, a big backyard. So, we're so fun. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah. What are we talking about on today's podcast? Oh, yeah. So, today's podcast, one of the things we want to talk about today is kind of give the tangible example of there's one way of doing development work in Africa and then there's this other way. And both have their place, but one feels just a lot more in tune with how we function as an organization. So uh, we want to look at how we invest in local leaders and um, care about their development. Awesome. So Emily, how did you get involved? You have a whole story of you in Africa. At the end of the day, I would say it's probably a podcast devoted to like changing the conversation of the way you look back over your story. Mm. Um, I would have said that my story had lots of what filled like disjointed seasons in them. I was homeschooled. Well, that feels oddly out of touch with reality and you're not cool. But part of my homeschooled education allowed me to care about things or start to learn about things that I found interesting. So mm-hmm. I studied a lot about war and conflict. And as a high schooler, there was a lot of war and conflict across the continent of Africa. So I was studying tribal differences and genocides and the decolonization of a continent. And I found that really interesting. But then I felt like that probably just got set aside and put on a ledge in my box and said, that was a season in my life. I did other things like I nannied for a season, but I nannied for a family whose world kind of got flipped upside down. Dad got told he had just a few months to live. He was dying of Mm -hmm. cancer and mom kind of moved into the hospital with dad. And so I inherited the raising of three little boys. And I can look back on that season and say, the way you learn to speak to children in trauma and care for little hearts and answer questions like, if mom and dad both die, do I have to go live in an orphanage? Like, uh, that's Monday morning on your way to school. Mm, Um, mm -hmm. But God kind of brought all those pieces together. He brought a passion for Africa and conflict resolution. He brought a care for people who are living in traumatic situations and how do you walk gently with them but really hope and desire a world that's better. And then a random love of baseball. So I went to Boston University for grad school and really, again, was probably a haphazard decision. I wanted to be in Boston, Mm -hmm. and I wanted to spend my afternoons at Fenway Park and didn't know the type of education I was going to get. So BU has the second oldest African studies college in the country. So my professors that were teaching me about the continent were 
former heads of state or um, heads of the UN peacekeeping troops that were stationed in Congo or CIA spies. Like I just had this really awesome education into what Africa was like. I also traveled to Africa with the Mocha Club. Uh, was that your first time? First time to Africa, yeah. Right after undergrad, it kind of culminated in all the things that I'd been passionate about and loving and gave me a real sense of what those things, if you take them out of a textbook, what they look like um, in real life and how vibrant they are and mm-hmm. all the nuances of it. And yeah, yeah, it just kind of set me on a course. I had to be involved. And so um, didn't get involved in Mocha Club until 2010 when I started working on our international program and kind mm-hmm. of investing in the leaders and the staff that we have in Africa. That's awesome. Yeah, this is an exciting conversation for me because one of the things we're going to talk about um, is a story that you've told a couple times, and every time you tell it, it hits me just as hard as the first time I've heard it. Yeah, I think for me, I had a pretty amazing opportunity to see kind of a comparison of one way of doing development versus another on a trip that I had to Africa in 2012. And so I guess it kind of starts with that story you were mentioning. I was there Mm -hmm. in 2012 working with our staff nine members of our country staff across the continent. And what we were doing was trying to design a course for our leaders, particularly around, like, how do you make the physical world around you a better place? But really wanting to walk a line where we could have a class devoted to that and teach them some skills that would really help impact their planning and implementation of a project, but also do that in a way that didn't create hey, we want to turn your little village of a 1,000 people into Nashville, Tennessee. Or, you know, you can work really hard to help a place develop, but you also have to work really hard to try to fight a lot of the materialism that comes Mm -hmm. and can creep into Mm -hmm. that conversation. Anyway, we're in Africa. We're, We're working through this course and designing it and contextualizing it to the type of student that we have. And we're on a break. We're on a tea break. And... I'm busy talking with our staff from Liberia and Sierra Leone, and Debbie is busy talking about this work that he had been a part of in his community. And he goes, you know, um, we built the school, and it was over by the Mzungu well. And Mzungu means white person in Africa, in Mm -hmm. in Swahili. And so it's kind of the term they use. And I went, what? You have a white person well? In my context, the only world I know is when we used to have a separate water fountain or a separate bus for the African-American before the 60s, 64. Um, And so just kind of starting to think about that, I was like, what do you mean a white person well? And he says, well, there was a um, really well-meaning Christian nonprofit that came to my village several years ago, and they were assessing kind of the world around them. And they noticed that every day, twice a day, morning and at evening, all of the women from this community group got up and walked three kilometers to get their water and come back. And he said they just determined what we needed was access to clean water closer to home. And so they built a well um, for our village, you know, right kind of in the center. And I said, okay, great. Why do you call that a white person well? And he said, because we only use it when the white people come. Fallon, I like, wow. What? What do you mean? What does that mean? You don't use the clean water all the time, like the one that's right outside your door. Instead, they walk. And he said, yeah. And I said, well, please explain. Why would you not use that well? And Debbie said, 
Um, because what nobody asked was the priorities and the values of these women. These women, for the most part, are they're going to work all day long every day. Giving them access to clean water right outside their home, it just means they get to their next task faster. A lot of them have tons of children to take care of. Some of them come from abusive homes where their husbands are um, degrading or abusing them physically. And twice a day, this group of women, six, eight, ten of these women, get together and they leave. They walk away. They walk away together and they get an hour to walk and go get their water and come back. And they get to be together as women. They get to talk about their days and their husbands and their kids. And that is of more value to them than getting the water right outside their house. Mm. And it just opened up for me a space in my perspective to value something greater than efficiency and on to the next thing and task. It gave me space to appreciate that there are things more valuable than water Mm -hmm. right outside your door. I was just thinking as you were talking you know, clean water wells are something that people go to first because it seems it seems like a need and it seems like an easy answer. Mm-hmm. I wonder what it is in us that jumps to that so quickly. Clean water. Oh, I do think there's a lot of truth to like a hierarchy of needs. I mean, basic needs being met is super important. Shelter, food, water. I mean, that's so fundamental in physical survival. And so there's something created in our physical bodies that would say, I need this. And and so it's motivating and pushing your whole being towards Mm -hmm. finding it. But we don't take into account like um, the feeling of safety or attachment or some of these more um, emotional parts of our being Mm -hmm. that also have some very tangible needs. We don't pay attention to those as much as mm-hmm. in, a, in in particular sometimes in America, in a Western culture that um, pays attention to materials and says, we need this and we don't need this, or this car is nicer than that car, so I want something. We create our values based on what we have or what we want or what we lack and not necessarily paying attention to some of those other things. I think in Africa, sometimes it can be reversed. They do pay attention, but may not have a lot of control over the physical things. They do have control and care deeply about the more emotional states. So Mm. even in that original story of the well, I mean, these women understood and valued relationship over efficiency. It wasn't that they didn't value water. They were still going for clean water, but they just figured out how to hold attention. I have a physical need and an emotional need that I want to meet at the same time. And that added more value to them than efficiency and water. I think true philanthropy can't happen without listening for starters. I think true philanthropy appreciates that being heard, being in community, being valued is at the core of human dignity. And that's what philanthropy is trying to get at. It's trying to Mm -hmm. get at dignifying someone, whether you're giving them a blanket, you're trying to show empathy, you're trying to show compassion, you're trying to meet or fix what their body or heart is crying for. But truly listening to someone is the beginning of that. It's the beginning of meeting that need, which is to be heard, to be seen, to have those things cause a reaction in someone else, right? When you are listening to me and you are um, looking me in the eye and you're responding to me, you are physically meeting something 
with your actions that my heart and my being is asking for. Mm. Um, and it's the first kind of recognition of philanthropy. I want to be authentically kind to you. Mm. Yeah. So how is that spoken into how you, in the role of president of African Leadership and Mocha Club, how does that international aid look differently? It's a great question. I think for me in this role, it means that people always have to be more important than program. Mm. It also is how we build our program. There is nothing that I hold more valuable in our work than the people, than you and Brady and Emily and Tito and Jeffrey and Irene and Cherry. And my job is to care well for you, to pay attention to the people that are leading this organization around the world. In turn, their job is to care well and listen and offer themselves authentically to um, the people that they're leading. You are engaging with Mocha Club members. You're sending personal emails. You're engaging with the influencers that are leveraging who they are for building a coalition of men and women who will care for Africa. Tito in South Sudan is um, investing day in and day out. He's flying around the country. He's on the phone. He's sitting in living rooms, praying for and caring about the facilitators that are training all over South Sudan. And he's caring about their marriages and their kids and their personal life and their emotional well-being and their physical development. He's caring about those things and pouring into his leaders. And then those leaders are teaching students, are caring and pouring into students, Mm -hmm. um, local leaders across the continent. And so if I take my eyes off of you and Tito and Irene and Leonard and focus on a program instead of those people, I'll inherently Mm -hmm. destroy what we're doing what we're building yeah well thank you I appreciate your care for our team Uh, both here and in Africa I mean it's I see that it's loving people really well it's what we're called to do okay so going back to how we started this conversation talking about the Mazungu well an unfortunate story of how international aid was done wrong Mm -hmm. um do we have a story of when it was done right yes But I'm going to change a little bit of your wording and say, I don't know that it was wrong. Um, Because I am also reaching a point of appreciating that there are really amazing organizations and they know how to do one thing really well and they want to offer it to the world. And I don't think that's bad or wrong. Mm. Maybe Mm -hmm. ill-timed, maybe not the most important priority, but still a beautiful gift to give. Sure. So... Maybe not wrong, just definitely not what we're called to do, not the way and the role that we have to play. So if we were going to reframe that question, how do we do like international aid or what is our role and how is it different? Yeah. I would paint kind of the contrary stories. All of these men and I worked out this course that we started editing and working on. It took us three years. It's a very in-depth course on physical development in communities and working with what you got, building off of the assets and the strengths of the community and of the people in the community. 
And so I'm busy in my office one day kind of editing away this course, and um, our country director, Jonathan from Sierra Leone, sends me an email, and he says, hey, I know we're still editing it, but I kind of took a stab and took some students through this course. I just wanted to see how it played out in real time. This is what we did with it. And he went on to um, give me a 35-page kind of project Mm -hmm. proposal Mm -hmm. where he basically said, you know, we assessed our problem. This group of men, they had built a, a leadership kind of stakeholder meeting in this community. It was one Christian pastor, the local chief, the Muslim imam, somebody on staff at the hospital, just this group of people who all cared about their community and decided that the conversation and the issue they wanted to be involved in was water, clean water, and um, subsequently the waterborne illnesses that were wreaking havoc in this community. So they decided to, they wanted to build a well. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Well, how will it compare to a Mzungu well? And mm-hmm. um, and so they started laying out how they were going to do it and where they were going to do it and who all was going to be a part of it. And they came up with the management committee that was going to write the rules and they were going to build a gate around it and they were going to charge the community for the water so that they had the money on an ongoing basis to repair any issue. They got the water department to come out and teach them how to work on the pipes and clean things and oil things and take care of it. And they all, the whole community built it. I mean, they all spent their time and their energy, can you imagine, like digging a well, pouring cement. I mean, they built the whole thing. We got asked for about $8,000 to purchase some of the um, piping, the actual metal piping. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we contributed that. We contributed $8,000 one time to a place I've never been. We've never had a white person visit this little community, but they all agreed they wanted to build this well. So um, Jonathan and I worked it out. They built the well. Five months later, we had Ebola, a huge Ebola outbreak in that whole western corner of the continent. And Jonathan had made it to the U.S. by then. And and I said, how's it going? And he said, you know, I haven't been able to get up there. We're all contained. We're not allowed to travel, all these different things. So we delayed getting to hear about the outcome of this water well until about eight, nine months later when kind of some of the restrictions were lifted and they'd figured out how to contain Ebola and they were starting to figure it out. But Jonathan got out there and he started running the reports and doing the evaluation and seeing if it affected malaria rates and, Mm -hmm. you know, waterborne illnesses. And then he also came back and he said, hey, I have something I want to just really brag about. And I said, okay, tell me. And he said, Mm -hmm. "Um, you know, we have 14 districts in the country of Sierra Leone and this is the district that kind of got hit, like one of the hardest that got hit with Ebola, their water well that these men had built in this little corner of Sierra Leone was the only well in the entire district that mm. remained free of Ebola contamination Wow! because they built it and they policed it. They sent me a picture of the list of rules. You know, they got fined if they had a fight near the well. They got fined if they used bad language around the well. They just, they created this space where Muslim or... Um, Christian could come and purchase water. They created a group of men to police it. They created a group of men and women to kind of manage the money and the 
distribution of waters among household. And it's just a beautiful example of how we choose to work, of the way yeah. we get to work. We get to spend a lot of time in communities with men and women who want to figure out what it is that they're supposed to be doing mm -hmm. and how they can leverage themselves and their strengths. And then they end up building together collectively. It's this community. And um, I love being a part of it. Yeah. Which I love that the community is Christians and Muslims and people from all different experiences and perspectives are coming together under one, one aim. I think what's cool about if I'm taking off my Mocha Club staff hat and putting on my member hat, it's that I believe and trust in these leaders. So I don't need to know that I'm giving specifically to clean water or that I'm giving specifically to orphan care. It's that I believe in these leaders and I'm giving to them and they're going to be the ones that know best of what that community needs. And so I think that becomes my place and my sense of responsibility is um, if I'm going to let these leaders guide what is most important in their community, then I want to know for certain we can trust them. I want yeah. to know for certain that they have the educational background and that they've been equipped that if they're going to go in and work with children that have just fled a war in Congo, that they have language for that and that they're not causing harm. Mm. Um, if they're going to go and do a, an agricultural product with youth in Rwanda, that they have a skill set to be teaching. So mm -hmm. that's what feels like our place of being responsible is choosing well the men and women who, who we're training and then really knowing we're training them well, mm -hmm. really knowing that what they walk away with and the growth that they've had is significant so that they're leading well. Mm -hmm. And we're doing this hand-in-hand -hand with African leaders already established on the continent because they bring oh, yeah. in that. Yeah, the we is definitely not you yeah. and me sitting in this room, although you're very valuable, Alan. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, the staff that's doing this, the leaders that are doing this across the continent is all of our country directors. It's all of the staff that they have locally. It's their boards. They are hand-selecting men and women who they know are people of character, that have great references, that are engaged in work across their communities, and then pouring into those men and women. I love the clarity in saying out loud, when we say African leadership in the Mocha Club, it is Emily, it is me, it is Tito, it is Irene, it is we right. are African leadership in the right. Mocha Club. It is it's not Janani sitting in an office in Gulu, Uganda, and it's Cherry mm -hmm. sitting in an office in Addis, Ethiopia. And yes. Yeah, I mean, it's men and women all over the continent who know what leaders and know what character looks like in their context. And a big part of that is our giving community here in the States. Yeah. Like, that's a huge part of the we that we talk about. Yes, it um, is. We're so thankful. Well, thank you so much for sharing both those stories. I think um, they paint a really beautiful picture of uh, what reality is like and the work that we do. And um, it's inspiring to me to hear. Thanks. It's inspiring for me, too, to mm -hmm. hear what um, I think we miss often, that there's so much ingenuity and creativity in Africa, that if we're listening and mm -hmm. quiet and use two ears, we can hear it and we can celebrate it and flourish it and foster it. Mm -hmm. um, not only for them, but for us. That's how we learn, too. Yeah. 
Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. Um, if you enjoyed today's conversation, listening in, please let us know. We love to hear from our listeners. So leave a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to your podcast. Um, share this podcast with your friends and family. Get others involved in the conversation um, and subscribe to future episodes because we have a lot of exciting um, topics coming up and we don't want you to miss it. So join us. Bye. Have a great day.